Uh, let's turn in our Bible this morning to Matthew chapter 5. We've been looking at the Beatitudes. We've been looking at uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And so we want to continue to do that this morning. And uh, I hope that you have enjoyed this sermon series of seeing what it is uh, to be the kingdom. And so uh, Brother Jake has labeled it as far as we the kingdom. And so I want us this morning to be able to just continue in that and look as what it is for us to be the kingdom uh, for the Lord. Okay, so as we look this morning, we're going to read uh, in uh, Matthew chapter 5. We'll pick up in verse 17 through verse 20. That should be on the screen with us this morning. It says in verse 17, it says, Do you think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets? I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For surely I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will not by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. And he also says, but whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. And so as Jesus is doing this, and we've been kind of doing this as a drill in children's church the last few weeks of talking about where are we at when we come to this part of Scripture? What has happened so far? And so as we have done that, I want them to always understand. I want us to always understand when we're reading Scripture to be knowledgeable of what's happening when we come to that part of the text, okay? And so as we label it this morning, I'm gonna kind of get into that. As we label our, our sermon this morning, as far as we the kingdom, I want to label it as knowledge is power. And it's important for us to know what this knowledge is. It means knowledge is power. And it's important for us, as I said, to know what this knowledge is. It's, for, it's important for us to be educated and to know what we believe. And what is actually being said. And so a lot of times when we talk about scripture and we talk about certain things, I want us to talk in a place of knowledge of knowing and not in a place of ignorance. And so as we look at this passage this morning, I, I just kept thinking about this certain scripture that doesn't really pertain to this uh, text, but it, it has the same uh, it has what, uh, the same uh, meaning or concept that I really wanted to get across to us today. And you don't have to turn there this morning, but in 1 Thessalonians 4.13, the Lord is talking about when people die and when they perish, that he says, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren. I want you to understand that dying and, and when a person who is in Christ, when they die, that's not the end of their life. And he's telling them this. And he's getting into that specific, Paul does, I should say. Paul is teaching them this, this as far as what it is to, as far as heaven and as far as a person that has a relationship with the Lord. But that first part of that scripture, he says, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. And so as we look at this this morning, it's important for us to know what has transpired. What has transpired throughout the Old Testament when, when he gets into this part of the scripture, it's important for us to understand where we at in the, in the teaching and the life of Jesus. I've taught my uh, children's church class what it is to when I say earthly ministry, what does that mean? Because you know, Jesus has always been. We understand that, right? Jesus is part of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Jesus has always been. There's never been a time where Jesus, it was his first day 
Okay? He's always existed. He's God. He just came as God in the flesh on the earth. Okay? And that 33 and a half years that he lived on the earth, three, and a half, three or three and a half years of that time in his life from the age of 30 to the age of 33 was what we refer to as his earthly ministry. It's whenever he was baptized by John the Baptist and he really started in that first wedding, uh, that, that wedding feast where he turned water into wine. That was the beginning of his earthly ministry. And so when Jesus started doing that and he started having these miracles and all these great things. And again, I refer back to our children's church. We talked about, you know, what brings a big crowd? And I guarantee you, uh, you know, guys that worked this past week, they went to a convention uh, in Dallas. And, uh, and it was tough for them to get tickets because Tim McGraw was there and GM Financial was putting that on. And you know what? It didn't. It was it was very difficult to come by those tickets because of his popularity, that's what we talked about. When you have a person that has popularity, people will show up. When they know how to sing really well, people will show up. I gave them an example last week. If I go to Houston and I even promote it for, for weeks on end and I go to where the Texans play and I go in that stadium and I just say, and I put out flyers and do all of those different things and put it out, broadcast it all over the place that I am gonna hold a concert. I don't even think my family wants to show up to that. You know, there has to be something that draws that attention. Okay, so when Jesus is there on his beginning of his earthly ministry, it just wasn't just because, oh, here's this guy named Jesus and I better go listen to him. Okay, he was doing signs. He was doing miracles. He was doing all these wonders where it drew these people's attention. And the Lord knew at this point, when we start out in chapter five, the Lord sees this great multitude around them and he felt the responsibility. He knew what his message was. He knew what he needed to do. There was real, actually a couple of things. He draws himself back a little bit from the crowd. The Lord really wasn't impressed with the crowd. It never was, it never was about just drawing the crowd just to, just to say I have a certain number. The crowd was there because several different reasons why that crowd was there. Someone was there with really wanting to know and wanting to understand what is going on. Other was there, others were there just there for the show. Others were there to really criticize and really critique what he was doing. So there was a lot of different reasons. And the Lord saw through those things. But he also remembered the bigger picture. And so when he draws himself back and he kind of gets himself on this mountain. And I love this part. I don't know, me and Brother Jake, I, I don't know why we don't have a seat and everybody else draw close to us, right, while we're preaching. But Jesus knew how to do it. And Jesus had a better message than we did, uh, apparently, too, right? And so he, Jesus draws himself back. He goes and has a seat on the mountain. His disciples come close to him. And the crown, I believe, is still there. You know, we can get real technical about that, but I don't want to this morning. But I, I believe the crown can hear. They're, they're going to gather these things uh, as well. But he's really speaking to his disciples. He's really pouring into them. And he's wanting to tell them really what they need to know and understand so they could be the teachers and leaders moving forward. And like I said, it was good information and knowledge also for the listeners, for the people who were just intrigued as well. And so when you see this, this is what's happened up to this point. Satan has already tempted the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus has done all these great signs and wonders. Even when, the, even when Satan's tempting him, Jesus, when he's quoting scripture, he's quoting Old Testament scripture. And that's very relevant to what we're going to be talking about this morning. And so as we look a little closer, when we talk about knowledge is power, it's important for us to not to be ignorant of God's word. 
let's make sure that we understand what God is doing, what Jesus is speaking at this very moment in this in this text and understand what is he trying to get to across to us today. So in verse 17, when we look at knowledge is power, we want to see that Jesus came to fulfill the law, not to destroy the law. And that's what he tells us in verse 17. In the first part, he says, do not do uh, do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. See, there was a group that was always there as the Achilles heel of Jesus. And that was the religious leaders of that day. The scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees is not mentioned in here, but that's another group that was a part of this uh, religious leaders that was in that part of that day. The scribes, just researching a little bit and understanding, because I've always just heard that in church of what a scribe and the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And, and uh, there was always a little even cute little kid songs about the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection, so they were Sadducee. But anyway, uh, just things like that I've always heard in church, but not really fully understanding. The, sad, uh, the, the scribes, they were really, as I think of it, they were really like our, our uh, Supreme Court. To really look and interpret the Constitution, to really look and see what the law, based upon what, what is... What has been signed, what has been done, and really just to really do a good job in interpreting the law. And that's what the scribes were there to do. The scribes, man, if there was any question about the text, about the Old Testament law, you would go to the scribes. The scribes would really look at it. They would really, and really, when he's even looking at the word scribe, they would really put out the prescription of what needs to be done and what is according to to God's law. Like they, this was their profession. This is, they took this stuff very serious. Now, if you were a Pharisee, that was a religious sect, a Jewish religious sect of that day. Okay. And so those Pharisees, they continue to just really, uh, they lived right. They did according to the law and they were such a religious group. And some of them, you could be a scribe and not be a Pharisee, but there was some Pharisees that were scribes as well. There was some Sadducees that were scribes as well. Uh, that's what they did, but they were also part of this religious group. And so a Pharisee, like I said, was a religious group of the Jewish religion that not only would they say, we're going to follow the Sabbath, but they made rules on top of it to say, you can't even take this many steps on the day of the Sabbath because that's considered work. Like they added to God's law and guess what? They followed those religious rules. One of the most famous Pharisees that we know was the Apostle Paul before, as we understand and refer to him as Saul before he was saved. He was, the Bible tells us that Paul refers to himself as a Pharisee of the Pharisees. Like he was of that top group, that top sector of the Pharisees. He really understood and knew the law and kept the law and even kept the added law that the Pharisees had for him. And so this religious group was constantly after Jesus and they were constantly telling him no. And they're, they're constantly going after him and saying that you are going against God in the Old Testament. You're going against God uh, of, of, the, of the law. And he says, Jesus tells them, he says in verse 17, guys, I want you to understand, do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets, because the prophets were teaching in the Old Testament about the law. He said, I did not come to destroy it, 
but I came to fulfill it. I came to complete it. I've used this analogy before of talking about, uh, of looking at uh, a picture. I don't, I don't know what I did with my phone, but if I had my phone with me, I would show you a picture of me and Lisa that's on my screensaver on my phone. And I would say, who is this in the picture? Well, that's you and Lisa. No, it's not. It's a picture of me and Lisa. Here's Garen. Here's Lisa. It, it, on my phone is just simply a picture. The Old Testament was really of what was to come. It was understanding when you truly understand the law and the dynamics of the law and what God was giving, it was giving a perfect system. It was giving something that could only be completed if there was somebody else to really come through and to satisfy what the law was desiring. And Jesus said, I'm not coming to destroy that. I'm actually to coming I'm coming to complete it, to fulfill it. I am the, what the law was crying out for. And, on, and so for them, they just saw Jesus as a threat. Are you coming in, the religious leaders, are you coming in to tell us everything that we have done, said, all of these different things, even what they've gotten outside of, even, made, even their own man-made stuff on it? Are you telling all of this is for nothing? Jesus is telling them, listen, when you really understood the law and you have a, a really good understanding and you really have the knowledge of God, not just knowledge, but now the spirit of God showing you and giving you understanding of what the law was all about. I'm coming here to fulfill the law because in the law and all the prophets, they talked about one that was coming to fulfill the law. They were looking for him and they never really fully grasped the Jewish people, never fully grasped that Jesus was that Messiah. He was the one that was coming to save his people. He was the one that was coming to fulfill the law that the law cried out for for years. And so that's what we see here. Jesus was one in the Bible. They, they talk about this throughout scripture. But, you know, it was all about with the scribes and Pharisees. How dare you can stand up here and, and, and under whose authority that you can stand up here and teach about these certain things. And Jesus wasn't worried about the Pharisees or the Sadducees or the scribes as far as having uh, their, uh, their kind of authority that they wanted to or their kind of okay for him to stand up and teach and preach. He was a person with authority. He spoke from authority because he was the authority. He was the standard. And what bothered them as well, as we continue on, I want us to understand what really bothered those religious leaders of that day is because they really walked around with their good prayers. You could not pray them. You could not live them as far as their lifestyle. And, and I'm telling you, we stand up here and we pray. You've been in, in church before where we, they call on uh, deacon so-and-so to pray. And boy, that is just a define, I mean, just a, I don't know, just a oily, I want to say, just just such a deep words, Father God, be with us. You know, just like it's almost like Moses speaking from heaven. And you would just think like, okay, that person really knows God, right? But the Pharisees, just lighten up a little bit this morning, right? And I'm not offending anybody this morning. But uh, the Pharisees were that kind of way. They would, op they would openly pray in the, in the open square. And they would just pray that these so, so great, eloquent prayers, it was done for all to hear. It was, it was there to be seen, to be understand that they are someone. Well, Jesus didn't go about it that way. Jesus didn't even come on the earth when we talked, about, even at the beginning of the, of the book of Matthew, it's about Jesus coming in as a babe wrapped in swallowing clothes. He comes humbly. 
He doesn't come with all the esteem. He doesn't stand out there in the middle of Jerusalem and saying, here is baby Jesus and, and uh, want to uh, just name drop. I'm from the lineage of David. I am this person. I am that. He didn't come with all that kind of elegance, eloquence, eloquence, did he? No, he went find fishermen. He went find people who were common people, not anybody of esteem or not anybody of royalty. He brings these common people with him and says, listen, we're going to change the world. We're going to do something great. And not only was he with them, these sinners that, he, that no longer were just fishing for fish, but now they were fishers of men. But he, he goes on and he's eating and dining and taking part of the different things and associating himself with, God forbid, sinners. And that really rocked them. They didn't really like that. They did, they did not understand. Not only are you coming, looks like to me, to destroy the law, but you're saying all these things about the law, and it really doesn't make sense to us. But not only that, you're partaking and you're having, you're having uh, association with, with sinners, with people who are not of this extra this special uh, sect of people, religious sect of people. And so it really bothered them, continuing on. Not only he didn't come to destroy the law, but in verse 18, he continues on and says, For surely I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, not one jot, not one tittle will, will by no means pass from the law till it is fulfilled. Jesus said, I didn't come to, I didn't come to destroy the law, but rather I came to complete it. I came to fulfill the law. In Galatians 3.13, it tells us that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. And I want to get into this part of it in our, in our scripture as we move on to this next verse. He didn't just come. He says he, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. And so he's telling us here when we get to verse 18 that, listen, that those things will not pass away from the law until, until the law, until all things are fulfilled. Meaning, he's telling us, until all these things come to pass. When I say don't be ignorant and I say knowledge is power, is to understand that when Jesus came on this earth, he came... As much as we love singing about the birth of Jesus Christ because it's new and it's beautiful and, and it's fresh talking about a newborn baby and it's innocent. But when he comes to die on the cross for our sins, it's our curse, it's our penalty because we are the lawbreakers. We are the ones that go against God's law and the law and the, 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 the law, the curse of the, the, uh, of the law, meaning that we needed something because we are miserable failures against God's holy standard of the law. And when Jesus comes, he takes that on for us, the Bible says. When he goes to the cross and he's a perfect, sinless person when he is, well, ever, but when he lives this life for us on the earth, 33 and a half years, he dies as that innocent lamb, the Bible describes, who is pure, who is spotless, who doesn't have any fault in him. And he takes all of our sin, all of our mess, and it's placed upon him. And he takes it to that cursed cross. 
to die on the cross for our sins. And he says, this is the fulfillment of the law. That there must be some kind of substitute. In the Old Testament, the substitute was that innocent animal. And I've said this to you before. But could you imagine coming to church this morning and because of my sin and because of your sin, we would come in and sacrifice that innocent, spotless animal to be able to that blood to flow and that blood to appease the law. Now, maybe we'd sin a little less if we saw the real evidence of what our sin has done. Our sin requires a blood sacrifice, the Bible tells us, in order to have that redemption from the Lord. And that's what he's talking about here when he tells us in this, in this, in this scripture and even referring back to Galatians, that redemption comes through the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ that was done on the cross. And then not only that sacrifice when he did that, guess what happened to that Old Testament? The Old Testament structure, the Old Testament law was really... And, and that sacrifice was done with that Old Testament priest behind that veil. And to understand when, the, when Jesus died on the cross, and it's kind of, we have a couple of veils in here this morning. But the veil, when you got behind that veil and that priest went in one time a year for the sacrifice of all of the nation of Israel, that was a very holy moment. If that priest wasn't in right standing with God, they would have to literally drag him out by the rope that they tied around his waist to drag him out because they were not worthy themselves to go in there. He would go in not only on behalf of himself, but he would go on behalf of the people. And the Bible instructed in the Old Testament when they went behind that veil, behind that holy of holies, that's where God was in his presence. And they would go in to sacrifice in there. But when Jesus died on the cross for our sins, the Bible says to us that the veil was torn he fulfilled that law. The veil was torn, not from the bottom up, but from the top down. And it was torn showing the significance of God separating that and tearing it down because now the law was not destroyed, but the law was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The book of Hebrews does an excellent job. If you ever get a chance to read through the book of Hebrews, and especially in Hebrews chapter 9 and chapter 10, it talks about the Old Testament covenant and of how, of how it was to have a relationship with God in the Old Testament. And, and what changed was they were looking forward. They were looking at that picture then and looking forward to Christ. And now he's telling us of the new covenant that we have now in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what he continues on in verse 19. And he tells us, whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. He says, when we talk about these commandments, when, when, the, when it's fulfilled, he's saying we still have to understand that that law is still there for a reason. That, that moral law will help, help us and lead us and guide us. We're no longer under the law. We're under grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. But that law is still there as a help and a guide for us. Even when you think about the Ten Commandments, the only thing that's different, that's not been repeated in the New Testament out of the Ten Commandments, all nine of them were repeated in, in, in the Gospels, I mean, not in the Gospels, but in the New Testament. The only one that wasn't repeated was the Sabbath. And the, even the principle of the Sabbath we can still teach today. The only reason we don't do the things of the Sabbath is because now we worship on the first day of the week, which is on Sunday, because of the new covenant in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
But the principle of those things, of how we should set aside time for the Lord, of how the Lord says when you do, you should take time and rest. Those principles of the Sabbath are still there for us and very applicable for us today. And so Jesus is there just teaching them. He says, listen, you should still teach these things, but not out of a place of law and of strictness, but out of love. He's saying, now, now you understand in the grace of the Lord, you ought to love, you ought to learn, and you ought to live it. That's what now Jesus is talking about when he was talking to his disciples. He's saying, listen, now when the kingdom has come, I am the kim kingdom. And when I have come and I have fulfilled the law, now you will work in a place of just not rules and regulations, but you will now work in a place of love. You will place in a place of continuing to learn, a, a continuing in a place of living it and being the people that God wants us to be. This new covenant, it was done because of the death and resurrection of the Lord. And he says, whoever does, the end of 19, whoever does and teaches them shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. He says, those are the people, when you teach in this way, not as the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes were teaching them as a place of condemnation. Now you're teaching them in a place of love and instruction. And I said this to us before, I love how Scripture, especially the Lord, when you look at His writings and His teaching, of how He talks about relationships. We have a lot of rules in my house. And I don't know very many of them that my kids love. But I, we give them those rules because we do love them. And you know what? I want my kids to understand, and I believe this is, and the reason I bring this up to be personal is to understand the personality of the Lord. Is the Lord's giving this instruction to his disciples and to those that will follow. He's telling them, I don't want it to just be about, man, if I do this, I'm going to break the standard that the law has, that God has for me. Just like I don't want my kids just to not break that rule just because they don't want to break a rule. But I want them to understand that when they break that rule, they break the parent's heart. And that'll keep you more than the law. To understand the heart behind the rule. And so... Jesus, when he's dealing with his disciples and he's saying, listen, these standards and these things are there for you. When Jesus says don't, it's there for your own good. When he says do, it's there for your own good. He says when you break that, you're really just breaking my heart because you have not really fully understand. You really not fully understood of why I even gave you these things, why it's there to even protect you. And I'm telling you, when we really have the understanding of breaking God's heart and really understand of even breaking the, the rules of our family and our home, it's more about the heart than it is about the law. And Jesus says that it's still there. When you teach men and women, boys and girls this way, he's saying great is the kingdom of heaven. Great is that person in the kingdom of heaven. Let's finish off in verse 20 and we'll be done this morning. Verse 20 has so much application. 
And I hope that we get this application in verse 20. Because it really boils down in verse 20 to the Holy Spirit. To what God has done, but really down to the Holy Spirit. Not anymore by fear, as we've talked about, but love. And the only way that we can do that is through the Holy Spirit. He says in verse 20, For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless your righteousness... Now, he wasn't saying that the scribes and the Pharisees were going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he's saying in order for you, these disciples that he's talking to specifically, he's talking to us today. He says in order for you to enter into the kingdom of heaven before we even, even can talk about being the kingdom, but how do we even get into the kingdom? How do we become part of the kingdom of God? He says you're, you would have to do works that exceed the scribes and the Pharisees. And let me tell you something right now. You can't do it and I can't do it. They would outwork us. They would outperform us. They would know more than us as far as scripture except when they miss the mark. And the mark was Jesus. The mark was we cannot do it on our own. We cannot really understand the fulfillment of the law. And how can we even rise up to that standard? It's because guess what? We can't. We can't rise up to that standard. The only way for us to receive the kingdom of God, the only way for us to understand and to exceed, for us to understand, let me say that again, first understand, and for us to exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, is for us to be in a place that we have allowed God to show us ourselves for who we are. That we cannot, on our own merits, on our own good works, come close to being good enough for God to say, you're in the kingdom of heaven. Because of our sin. Because of our sin nature that we have. We're drawn to sin. We are, it pulls us to be, to do what we want to do and fulfill our own flesh and do what we want to do. And so he tells us once we understand who we are and understand we fall short to God's standard. I promise I'm not yelling at you this morning. But then we also understand of who Christ is and the finished work that he has done for us on the cross. And when we accept that, as I said during our time of welcome, and I said that he is a perfect gentleman, that he won't, he won't push this on you. He allows people to see themselves for who they are see what he has and who he is. And when you truly understand those two things, you should be in a place to call out to God and ask God, God, please save me. God, please come in, be the Lord of my life. Take control. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. 
I ask you for this relationship that you said, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved from the penalty of sin. And, and, the, and the curse of what the law, I couldn't do in the law. He says, listen, when you, a person who can exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, those people, unless you can do that, will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. The only way for us to do that is for the Spirit of God to do His job, the person of the Holy Spirit, to do His job by coming in, opening up our hearts and minds. When God is speaking to you, let me tell you something, it's not just us being smart enough to understand. We get that, we understand that because God's Spirit is working in our lives. And then how can we go out and even do and be the people after that? Once we surrender ourselves to God and ask God to come in, and the Bible says that He comes in and He takes up residence in our life, we are no longer on the throne of our heart calling the shots. Now He is on the throne of our hearts calling the shots. And he says that's how we can be the kingdom. We the kingdom to go out and do these things that he wants us to do. Whenever he's talking about in the first, like, let, let's look at, just briefly look at verses 3 through 10, for example. Or, or 3 to all the way through verse 16 when we talk about being the light, being the example. But having this kind of spirit in verse 3. A poor spirit and understanding other people and putting other people first. How can we even do those things Guess what? We can't in our own power and our own strength. The only way that we can be the kingdom when we're a part of the kingdom is because of the Holy Spirit of God because God has now taken up residence. God is the one that is calling the shots in our life. That is the only way we can be the people that God wants us to be. Let me tell you, when you get to that point, I thought about this this morning. Ainsley's already taking a little nap. I'm, I didn't mean to call her out. I wouldn't call her out. I thought she was going to stay sleeping. Sorry. But she has her board written out. She loves that chalkboard. And on her chalkboard, she has the days of the week. And it's not on the Sunday, it's really not supposed to be in unison, but I took it in unison this morning for this example. But on her Sunday, it says church and it says freedom. It means that we just have a free day. She's not in school. And Saturday, I can't remember what Saturday is, but church freedom. And I really, when I saw that this morning, when I went to go wake her up, it really brought me back to this scripture in this part of the text. It's because the religious leaders of that day, those Pharisees, those scribes, there was a standard that daily they had to live up to. And by no means is God lowering the standard as far as holy living. Let me say that again. God is not lowering the standard for holy living. But they were such under such bondage. When you have to put on an outward show and a facade. Because you know what Jesus called these Pharisees and scribes and the Sadducees? He called them whitewashed tombs. The tomb looked beautiful. It was clean. It was pretty. But it was a tomb. Guess what's underneath a tombstone? It's a dead body. I don't want to be called that by God. So they had a nice outward appearance. And guess what? You've always got to keep up that outward appearance. 
You're not just keeping up with the Joneses, you're keeping up with the select group of the religious Joneses. That burden, there's no freedom in that. That is a heavy weight that you carry on your own. And when you give yourself to the Lord, you found a new freedom in Him. You found a new freedom to know that, you know what, when I go through this life, it's not Garen just trying to be the best that Garen can be. Garen's just going to lean in and try to be as close to God as I can and constantly continue to remind myself when I tell God, God, I can't do this. I can't be the husband that I need to be. God, I can't be the father that I need to be. God, I can't be the friend that I need to be. God, I can't be the, co- the worker that I need to be. I can't do all these things. And God said, I know. I'm going to give you the strength. I'm going to give you the things that you need. Just lean into me. Allow me to show you, direct you, instruct you on the way you should go. And when you understand that, it is church with freedom. It's life with freedom. It's understanding that, you know what? I don't have to do it on my own, and I can't do it on my own, and I can't live this perfect, sinless way on my own. The only way I could even come close to that and looking like Christ is me be found in Christ. And so Jesus said, you want to be, you want to be a person, you want to be a people who exceed the righteousness of God? The only way you're going to do that is through the, through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and accepting his spirit and accepting him for who he is. And when his spirit comes inside of you, he will be the one, the Bible says, to show you, teach you, lead you and guide you, even teach you how to pray, the Bible says, because we don't know how to pray. He is the one that's going to show you and teach you. So that elegant, eloquent prayer that you heard that said all these words, the Bible says, that's just like sounding brass. That's just, that's just noise. But to pray and to say, God, save me. God, take control of my life. And that's not eloquent. That's not anything great or magnificent. It's the heart that God sees and that he wants. And so as we conclude again this morning, it wasn't external, but it was internal. And with that, in the same context, I hope you receive this well. They should have understood it. The religious leaders of that day. And they kind of missed it, right? And we can look at it and see how they missed it. Just as we can see and look how, and we kind of scratch our heads and not really understanding of how they could really, after crossing the Red Sea and get on the other side of the, of the, uh, of the Red Sea, of how they could question God. But for us, we have, we have a place of really no excuse. I want us to understand that freedom And I want us to understand that we are liberated in the Lord. But understand, we should be people that we have the Old Testament for us to look at examples of how God worked through them. We have an understanding through Scripture of the New Testament, of what God has done for us. Some of us had people before us that have lived, lived 
and that has shown us the things in the Lord. And so for me to be able to take on all that knowledge, number one, don't be ignorant, but to take that knowledge and know, you know what? I know better. I know better. Because I have all of this to show me and that has surrounded me that I could be part of the kingdom of God, number one. I have the knowledge. It's just a, a, a time where I need to give my life to the Lord. Then you say, you know what, Garrett, I have that. I'm part of the kingdom. But that's number one, to understand what it is to be part of the kingdom. And number two, to really live and be the kingdom that God wants us to be because we should be continuing to learn, to grow, to understand, and to continue each and every day to just give Him more. I'm going to give you this last example and then I'll, I'll conclude with this. Little Mason this morning, I saw him. He is being raised by his parents to guess what? And it's in part of our nature. He'll become more and more independent. Correct? Even in just a few months, he has become more independent. And that's how we've, that's how we've grown up and that's how we've seen our children. You become more and more and more independent and one day you push them out of the house, push them out of the nest, right? Some of you are smiling, thinking about your kids a little bit. As a Christian, you come opposite. You're fully independent. I have gone my way, doing my own thing when I wanted to do it. And when you come to the Lord, you're sacrificing that. You don't even know fully what all you're sacrificing. You're just sacrificing it all. And Lord, you take me as I am. And the Lord does it. And as you grow in the Lord, as you grow in the Lord, as you grow in the Lord, you should become more and more dependent upon the Lord. More and more dependent upon the Lord. Less of you and more of Him complete opposite than our nature and so I hope and pray this morning when we I'm going to ask the worship team to come up and make their way and when they lead us in this time of worship we're going to start doing something a little new I actually have chairs behind that curtain it's not the Old Testament veil but I'm going to be standing back there and if you need somebody to pray with or you need someone to talk to, even if you come to me initially and you say, you know what, I like to talk, I would like to talk to a lady, I like to, you know, that's I will I know people, I will put I will serve as connectors, as a connection between you and somebody else that I think would work really well with you and pray with you. But I always want us to have a time of response. And in this setting, this is the way we'll do it. So me or Brother Jake or someone will be back there. And so because right now, I want us to think about what God has spoken in our hearts. Maybe it was the first thing. Maybe it was the thing as we got to the end. The first thing that I talked about was understanding what it is to be part of God's kingdom. Let's say it a little easier or a little more loving be part of God's family part of God's family 
of turning from our way and understanding what I was talking about earlier about who we are and who Christ is and turning and surrendering to Him. And if that's you this morning, I pray that you would ask the Lord to save you, to be the Lord of your life, forgive you of your sins, and allow Him to come in and be the boss, the ruler, the master of your life. And if that's you this morning, I hope that you don't leave this place without trusting the Lord. Or maybe you're a believer this morning or part of the family of God and you just say, Garen, you know what? I am still very independent doing my own thing in my daily life. And God, help us. God, I need your help. I need your strength. I need to give up some things. Maybe I need to just trust you in my everyday life and call out to God. Ask God to show you these things. Ask and you just take it upon yourself to pray to Him to call out to Him, allow Him to work in and through your life. And if you need prayer, you need help with those things, I'd love to be able to pray with you and for you through those times. And I pray, the last thing, is that we would be the people, we would be the church that God wants us to be, to speak and to preach in this place of love and encouragement and also in knowledge, to not to be ignorant of what God is wanting to do how he's wanting to accomplish these things in and through our church and in and through our community. I want to pray for us and we'll, we'll sing. Lord God, we love you and we praise you. We thank you so much, Lord God, for who you are. Thank you for allowing us, Lord God, to be in this place, to just give this time over to you, Lord God, that we set out some time in the first day of the week to just to praise you and just to hear from you so when we start out our week, Lord God, we started out right. We started out right in a way of, Lord, how do I need to go about accomplishing this week? I need to lean into you. Whether it's in now a fresh relationship with you, that's the most important decision of our entire life. Or it's in a place of understanding and growing closer and closer to you. And Lord God, continue to speak to us during this time of response. Continue to meet with us, Lord God, as we just sing praises to you, Lord God, and that we would just call out to you in this time of response, in this moment. Again, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand this morning. Our worship team lead us in a place of response to him today.